Open your Bibles with me to John 18. As we have learned throughout this study, there are many times where all four Gospels have the same event. All four Gospels have Peter's denial three times, him saying he didn't know who Jesus was. But as we have noticed before, each Gospel has some uniqueness to it have their own insights. Uh, I often use the illustration, if there's a car accident outside, four of you looking at it will have four different perspectives. It's the same accident, the same cars, but you'll have different things that you might point out. Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22 are the parallels to John 18. I have a little slide up there that, and it's kind of hard to compact it all on there, but from Matthew, we see that when Peter has made his third statement that I don't know him, they've denied him the third time, he breaks into tears. And you see that that's common in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Interestingly, John does not say anything about tears. In Matthew and in Mark, we see that Peter starts cursing. He is so mad that he... he takes aim at himself. There's no way I would ever know this man. So you see that in Matthew and Mark, not in John. In three of them, all three of those, Matthew brings out, he speaks with an accent, which I guess if you brought a Texan into New York, there would be a different accent there. The other two just simply say he's a Galilean, so some commentators will say that perhaps Galileans dress different than others. I mean, you show up in a cheesecake factory with your cowboy hat on, well, there's a cowboy. You show up with a yarmulke on, well, there's a Jewish person. So there's something that they could see visually immediately that he's a Galilean. Could be that he had his fishing hook in his, I don't know. He had something going on that associated him with Jesus, who was of Galilee. Luke is the one that really gets me. After the third denial, Jesus is being led out from the Sanhedrin, and Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. It's one thing to deny him when he's somewhere else. It's another thing to have denied him and then have to look at him right in the eyes. Also, and I was telling this to Lou, Church history, uh, church tradition, um, early commentators all cite Peter as the reference point for Mark, that Peter actually dictated many of the events in Jesus' ministry that are included for us in Mark. And as I told Lou when we were in my office, I said, you know, if I was Peter telling all the things that Jesus had done, probably my denial would not be one of the things I would have included. But as you know, most commentators think that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a reference point in their writing of the, their gospel accounts. Given that perspective, I think Peter wanted us to know about his denial. Because that heartbreak that he would feel looking at the man that he had followed for three years would allow him to experience even more of Jesus' love, grace, 
mercy, forgiveness, and compassion. And that would be his fuel for the fire that he would preach, as he did, if you know, the introductory or the first few chapters of the book of Acts, where thousands came to know Jesus because of Peter's proclamation. Before we get into John's account, let's consider the word heartbreak. And rather than call this sermon a sermon on denial, let's call it heartbreak. Have you ever experienced a heartbreak? <laughs> Are you breathing? <laughs> you betcha, yeah. From your mom and dad telling you you can't have a puppy, that's a heartbreak. I mean, it's all in perspective, right? To puppy love. Anybody remember that first boy or girl that no longer wanted to say, I mean, don't you love, I, I know kids move faster these days than perhaps they did in my day, but there were ID bracelets that we gave, you know, had my name, and you might give that to a girl, and man, when they gave that back, oh, 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 what pain. We know heartbreak from career choices to career failures. We know heartbreak from looking at that sweet little baby in the crib that sweet little baby becoming someone who would never do what you thought he or she had been taught to do. We see heartbreak when it goes from marriage to divorce. We see heartbreak and feel heartbreak when it goes from love to sickness and even in death. And at the center of heartbreak is the loss of love, whether it's literal or perceived. It's the loss of love. Now, this week, researching different things about this account and the different gospel accounts, I pulled up Barclay. That was the first commentary that my wife actually started buying me some Barclays. You know, a lot of preachers use that. Probably more prominent in the 40s and 50s. But uh, one of the comments on Barclay, he likes to explain away some of the miracles. That's why a lot of Baptists say, don't use Barclay. This is far more preacher stuff than what you want to know. But Barclay, in his commentary on the Luke passage, mentioned something about heartbreak. So I had to research this, you know, because he only gives it like a three-sentence line. So I had to look up the man that he referenced, and of course he's British, so he gives you all kinds of British uh, uh, illustrations. He mentioned Sir Edward Elgar, E-L-G-R, E-L-G-A-R. He was a, a British uh, composer from the late 1800s, lived till about 1930-something. And he came from very humble means. I read up on him this week. He married a military general's daughter, so that gave him some status in British social life. But nonetheless, there was a time where he was invited to hear a singer perform one of the compositions that he had written. And, I mean, that would be great. I mean, Steve, if you wrote something and had heard somebody come up to sing, and, he, yeah, okay, I'd like to hear how he or she does it. Well, this lady... And I want to give exactly what uh, Barclay and others have said. She sang the piece with perfect pitch, never missed a note. Her tone and timing was technically perfect. Most of us would say, yay, applaud. But when Elgar was asked what he thought about the performance, he said, she will be great when something breaks her heart. Until something broke her heart and she had the ability to sing with feeling, it could not be as good as what he wanted it to be. 
You know, funny, I used to believe the old wives' tale that if you broke a... I think when Trey, when Carlson broke his leg, I even think in the hospital, when I went to the ER that, that, that night, I said, you know, I always told it. You break a bone, it grows back stronger. How many of you ever heard that in your life? It's false. <laughs> so when you're in the bedside in the ER and you're the preacher, don't tell them that because it's not true. And of course, you know, Trey's a doctor, so I'm like, great, you know, here I'm reciting my medical knowledge. It grows back to about the same strength that it was before it was broken. I mean, if you're lucky. So, does that apply to hearts? If a heart is broken, does it grow back to about the same strength it was before it was broken? I say nay. I say it gets stronger. Because when you have experienced heartache, when you have experienced failure, when you have received forgiveness, when you have tasted Christ's mercy, his grace, his love. If you will simply focus on that, you will see that you too can love. You too can forgive. You too can share the goodness that you know because of what Christ has done for you. So, let's read the account of Peter's heartbreak, but realize that this is not the end of the story. In fact, before I go to the 18th piece, let me read you the... the uh, prologue, if you will. I think that's verse 38. Hang on. I'll get it there. Jesus has been talking to Peter uh, in chapter 13 about the fact that he's going to die. And in verse 37, Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Verse 38. This is chapter 13. I'm just trying to give you the preface. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, we pick up at chapter 18. And as last week, as I told you, John is the only one who inserts the interrogation of Jesus between one uh, denial. The other three gospel writers put them all back to back in, in rapid succession. And one commentator I read said it's like Jesus when accused of who he was, stood toe-to-toe and said, I am, I am, the great I am. And Peter, when he's accused of being a follower of the great I am, denied it and fell away. So maybe there's a contrast there or an intentional comparison, but here we go. First denial, chapter 18, verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple. So let me just break it down with you as you go. The other disciple all kinds of conversation, who the other disciple is. Is that the disciple that Jesus loved? That's how John refers to himself in the Gospel of John. Let's just, I can cut to the chase and say most commentators say it's probably John. But some will say, how in the world could a common fisherman have access to the inner sanctum of the high priest? You know, what's a, a local yokel doing in the house of the high priest, you know, how, how would he be known? Well, if you read the gospel accounts, you'll find that James and John's dad had hired servants. He had other guys fishing for him. So more than likely, he had a little status in the community. In fact, some go as far to suggest that he was the one who supplied the high priest with his salted fish. All types of uh, theories. One that I found interesting this week was the other disciple was Judas. Never read that before until this week. Don't agree that it was, because I think Peter probably would have stuck him 
with the sword on the way. But here we are, more than likely being with Simon and Peter, being with John, and they're following Jesus. Because this disciple, that's referring to the other disciple, was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside. That's interesting. Why? You don't really know other than the other guy had status. He could come in. Maybe Peter is already a little reluctant at this point. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. She asked a question in the negative, and it's a little different than the others. She, she basically, and I'll talk maybe about this a little bit more when we get to it, she almost helped him with his answer. You are not one of his disciples, are you? Well, the way you, everybody would answer that, well, no, no, I, that's what you want me to answer. That's the way she set him up. The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. That's denial number one. It was cold and the servant official stood around a fire that had been made to keep them warm. That talks about the time of year, talks about the time of night that it was. Peter also was standing with them warming himself. Now, skip with me to verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you are not one of his disciples, are you? Once again, in the negative. He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priests, now this is where it really gets personal. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, remember him from last, last week, that was Malchus, right? Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, as we look at this familiar account of Peter's failure, let us not become too self-righteous, too spiritually arrogant, or simply let's not get on our own high horses because there's so much that Peter went on to do once your son basically readmitted him into the fold. And we know that through the latter chapters of this book. But this is your book, Lord. We are your people. Speak to us through this book. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us through why Peter would even contain this. If he did give it to Mark and the other disciples that wrote the books or the other authors of the Gospels, there's a reason it's written there for us. And help us to find that. And one element I think of it, Lord, is the idea of restoration, the idea of forgiveness that you bring out in this text because we know your son would continue to love him despite his denial. Speak to us in this hour, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, before you get too self-righteous and jumping on Peter, remember, he was the guy who got out of the boat there's so much about Peter, you know, right? Some of you are familiar with Peter. Shake your heads occasionally. You're still awake, all right? He was the one who Jesus, when he asked the question, who do you say I am? And, you know, some say this and some say that. He says, but yeah, who do you say I am, Peter? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, only my Father in heaven. You've learned that, you know that, because of who I am 
and who God is, my Father. He's the one that, Peter, that Jesus said, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to call you the rock from now on, not like the rock, the movie star, and the wrestler. I am going to call you the rock because upon statements such as that, I will build my church upon. I remind you that one time when they were talking about one being a deceiver in their midst, Jesus said, do I not know who I called? So before you get too down on Peter, Jesus knew who the rock would be. And he knew what the rock would do. And he knew how the rock would come back to his fold. He's the one of three present at the transfiguration. Isn't he the one that says, oh, it's good that we're here. Let's build some tents. You know, kind of like under, misunderstanding what he's even doing there. He was ready to die with Jesus. He's the one who pulls the sword last week and cuts off that guy's ear. He's ready to get it on, if you will, with the opposition. And, and what I think is missed so often in this text, he didn't run away. Where are the other disciples? Now, Judas, we know. That's why I discount Judas as being the other disciple reference here in chapter 18. Judas goes away. Judas realizes what he's done. And as you know, Judas basically hangs himself, kills himself. So that leaves, if I count right, 12. That's 11. And if two of them there, there are nine other guys locked up in an upper room or somewhere. They are afraid. But Peter was brave enough to go with John to see what was going on because he loved Jesus. But I think the key to understanding his denial is that when he was faced with fear, he denied him. And he found himself, our first point, in denial. Watch this little video of someone in denial. You've probably seen it. I like it. And of course, I'm hungry. And let's see if it'll play. No. Who no. did this, TJ? No, 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 no. Did, did you it? do this? No. Huh? No. You didn't do this, TJ. Yes, you did. Who got to them cupcakes, TJ? No. Did you do it? No. But you you didn't do this? No. You took good. You sure? This is your last chance. No. Are you sure? Did you do it? No. Yes. So you didn't get push this chair over here, climb on there, and get them cupcakes? No. Why would that little boy lie? Was he afraid? Did he think his dad wouldn't love him? No, he was afraid. Did he think his siblings wouldn't love him? Well, maybe, because I think you can hear one of them in the background. He did it, he did it. Was daddy mean-spirited? No. Was he rejecting his place in the order of the hierarchy of the family? No. He did it because he wanted to do it. He wanted those cupcakes. Sound like I'm doing, you know, a few good men. He wanted that cupcake or all those cupcakes. And when confronted with his sin, he was afraid. If you were a sociologist recording our culture, you would have to say that our society is in denial. Denialism is a method people use to deny reality to avoid uncomfortable truths. 
I watch too much YouTube. I pay for the premium service. That's where I get my music, and I, I watch that probably more than I watch TV, which is too much too. I know. It says, you know, confession is good for the soul, and you'll hear about that in another point. But I saw a school board meeting just this week where a man <laughs> took off his T-shirt. He had some kind of shirt on because I, I clicked on it when I saw and he's in a uh, midriff-bearing top. I mean, he's got a belly on him like I do, a lot more hair on his than mine. And he is in a midriff top, and he is in front of a school board attacking the school board's dress code. He said, your policy is ridiculous. All your policy says now is that undergarments have to be covered. So with my midriff-bearing top, you don't know what I've got on underneath, and, and I'm good to go. So I thought, well, that's crazy. Okay, so then, you know, you start down that rabbit hole of looking at stuff. I saw another board meeting about parents complaining on transgender athletes using the locker rooms. Before I get up on my soapbox and start talking about how we deny everything from gender to other things in our lives, I watched yesterday... Driving back from Comfort, Brenda and I had gone there to take her to her, I guess that's your new favorite stitching place, to buy thread, you know. It it's, makes her happy, so I'm happy. I'm not, I'm not making fun. If she's happy, I'm happy. I learned that almost 40 years of marriage, you know. I'm a slow learner, but I'm catching on. <clears throat> but as we were driving back, and even in the city of Comfort, right, there were all these people, they were blocking the road. They have these funny Eclipse sunglasses on, Staring this way, you know, and I thought about in my sermon, I should just do this and see how long it would take each of you to start looking up there in denial that there's anything up there. There's nothing up there other than that light and some ceiling panels, but everybody's standing there looking. So the next thing I know, I told Brenda, I said, I don't have any glasses on, but I got pretty good Wiley X sunglasses. Maybe I ought to stare up there myself. And I blinded myself, but I did see that ring outside the sun. But hundreds of people driving back from Bandera, coming out off of, uh, we came back 46 and came back this way. There were people, now of course the sun had changed, so it's funny. At one point they're looking this way, another point they're looking this way. And I thought, hundreds of people looking for the sun to be blocked out, but they won't stop at a church on Sunday to see the true sun. To see the light. We are in denial. Peter was asked, a ne a, a, asked by a girl, I'll get it out yet. Because it's a girl in three of the other accounts. Um, asked this negative question. Says, you are not. And of course, he said, I'm not. And he had that momentary lapse. Which caused me to think about more YouTube that I've seen in the past few weeks. Did you know they changed out some of the stained glass windows in the National Cathedral? Have you seen that? Some that had some uh, more Civil War type... Uh, uh, segregation slash, you know, just uh, um, anti-people uh, of color, uh, stained glass. And I will tell you this. Here's another side note. When you tell an illustration, you have to give another illustration. When I was at Lakenheath, we had re rebuilt the chapel. It was a typical Air Force thing. Those of you who've been in the Air Force totally gutted the building. There was nothing left but the roof and the iron structure. It would be like taking it. So we got all new pews, and they decided to put on the backside, remember this, Brenda? all brand new stained glass and they were going to have missiles on it and bombers and fighters and I was like I ain't too smart and I'm only a captain but I don't think that belongs in the chapel well 
I think it did have an airplane in it. And, and there, I know those of you have your opinions on that. But the next part of it was they had a hand then. It was going to be like the hand of God coming down. And the hand was white. I said, eh, maybe I ought to make that hand tinted. Not necessarily black, not necessarily white, but somewhere in the middle. Because everybody can look at it and then say, that's my hand like my hand, you know. My hand's a little lighter. My hand's a little darker. But it's more like my hand. So they were in denial of even what they were doing. But as I'm talking about the National Cathedral, and I, you know, once you look at something on the Internet, I've told you that, once you look at it, everything else pops up. And it popped up that, in fact, I had forgotten this, and those of you who've been stationed or lived in the D.C. area, that in 2012, August, I think the 23rd of 2012, there was a 5.8 earthquake that hit Virginia and D.C. area. And it caused tens of millions of dollars of damage to the National Cathedral. And I started to show you the video. It had a gargoyle. I'm thinking, what are they doing putting gargoyles on churches? But it had a gargoyle, broke the head off of this gargoyle. And they are, they've been working and working for the past now, you know, what is that? Public math again, 11 years, 12 years, to get this building, its stonework, back in order. And they still need $14, more, $14 million more to complete their repairs. But I found another preacher after I did that who quoted their fundraising tactic. Now, I'm not using this for a fundraiser for our church, but finally I'll get to how it ties in to the message. Their quote was, see the lifelong impact a few seconds can make. I'll read that to you again. See the lifelong impact a few seconds can make. That earthquake only lasted a few seconds, but all the damage it did. Their account, I think, was trying to give, you, give a few dollars and see the impact it would make as the repairs were made. Peter's denial was just a few seconds. And had he not came back to Jesus, had Jesus not come back, in fact, if you want to read uh, chapter 20 and 21 and 22, um, ha. <laughs> I said 22. I knew somebody would say, no, it's 21. It's 20 and 21. There's only 21 chapters. If you get a 22, let me know. Um, but you'll see that Jesus sees him in, in chapter 20 and chapter 21 is when they have the meal by the, the, the be on the beach and they grill fish with a charcoal fire. Other gospel accounts say this was a charcoal fire that he was warming himself. I've often thought, any t you know how smells make you think of certain events in your life? Every time from that night when he denied him and he smelled charcoal, did he not have to remember what had happened to him, what he had done, how he had failed? But Jesus turned all that around. And equally, and we'll get to that eventually when I preach, finally get to the end of this Gospel of John, Jesus will give him three opportunities to say, I love you, I love you. You know I love you, Lord, then feed my sheep. Peter's denial only lasted a few seconds but he took that denial to confession, and that's our second point. I read this week about a pilot program in China for traffic violations, minor traffic violations. And if you've ever been to China, I've gone twice in my life. We had a missionary here a few weeks ago, and that's what got me this whole China thing again. Because the first time I went was in the early 90s, and there were literally thousands of cars. I mean, we went to Tiananmen Square after the event had happened. We had to go see Tiananmen Square. I mean, you could hardly cross the street because bicycle after bicycle after bicycle. Then we went back in, what year did we go, Brenda? 2010? So almost 20 years later, it's Mercedes, BMW, Jaguar over and over and over. I'm like, where did 
they get all this money? I guess I've been buying too much Chinese stuff. I don't know. But Chinese uh, policemen have determined that if it's a minor traffic accident, a tra traffic uh, infraction, like uh, maybe uh, you cut the corner, maybe ran the light or, or whatever, if you will go on social media and confess your error, and if you get 10 likes, they will dismiss that charge. It's a pilot program. Don't think it'd work in San Antonio because it would blow up the Internet. But, yeah. but thankfully, Jesus doesn't require 20 or more likes. He only seeks a contrite heart and the willingness to follow him. I was reading a section from Max Licato's book, Grace, and it's a chapter called Coming Clean with Jesus, and some of you may own this book or have read it. And as I tell you this story that he has written, so it's, it's not uh, something in secret, um, you might think, well, that's not much of a big deal, because to you it's not, but for a preacher, and especially a preacher out of an evangelical tradition or a, preacher, a Baptist preacher like myself, uh, he said that in his early years, he drank. He liked beer, but then he stopped. Then at one point in his life, he started drinking again, and it tasted just like he remembered it, and it was wonderful, and he loved it. But he knew in his position as a pastor that it was frowned upon by his, his church. So he said he became a closet drinker. Not, 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 we're talk, talking an alcoholic. He just felt bad about going and buying and putting it in a sack, and he said running to the car, trying to avoid people. Until finally, the Lord bothered him about that. <laughs> and, you know, bothered him. I think that's an interesting way to say it. The Lord got into his mind and to his heart. And, and, you know, if you're going to say one thing, if you're going to say don't drink, then don't drink. And you, otherwise, he said, I was being a hypocrite. So he came to his elder board and confessed this problem. And uh, the quote that I want to bring you to is, he says, um, I went to the elders, I spoke to the church. And at our midweek gathering, I told the story. One dear silver-haired saint, Jim Potts, reached across the table and put his hand on my shoulder and said something like this. What you did was wrong, but what you're doing tonight is right. God's love is great enough to cover your sin. Trust his grace. So this is not an illustration for me to say, hey, all of you who are drinking closet Baptist drinkers, which I know I have dozens out here. I know I do. And I'm, I'm not upset with that. I'm upset if you get in the car and drink and drive. I'm upset if you take money from your family to do the alcohol. I, I'm upset if that drinking bothers your witness. And that's a hard one to put value upon because you never know. But the illustration is that God's grace is sufficient for whatever sin that you think I can't say to him. I can't confess to him. Because to go in denial and not go to confession is to live in denial. If you know it is a sin and you know you're carrying some unconfessed sin, then go from denial to confession. Take the steps to confession. And that is what Jesus will do as we see in these coming chapters. Well, he'll ask Peter, do you love me? Do you love me?
and feed my sheep. Stand with me, please, we pray. Father, as we come now to a time of invitation, this has been a time where we all can look at ourselves and look at our hearts and see how much we're like Simon Peter. How we have publicly said one thing, but in private we've often denied you. We live thinking that we don't need you at times. And as we sang and as Steve even said, we need you every hour, every minute, every second of the day. Help us not to be in denial. And the times where we fail you, help us to confess our failures and seek the hand of Jesus that will take us and walk with us and guide us along the journey of life. So, Lord, if there's someone today who's never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, now is the time in our worship service to do it. We'll play a song. They can walk forward. We'll talk together. We'll pray together and ask Christ to come into their life to forgive them, redeem them, and save them from the fiery pits of hell, hell, that they would have an opportunity. They would have the passageway, that the ransom would be paid by the blood of Christ, that they might spend eternity with you in heaven. Lord, if there's someone here who just wants to come to these steps and pray, now's the chance for them to do that. Let your Holy Spirit move now in a mighty way, and I pray it all in Jesus' name.